Pastor Ed Taylor says there is hope and healing to be found in a relationship with Christ. I'm just telling you right now, what you're in the middle of, a relationship with Jesus Christ is the solution to. And you go, what do you mean a relationship with Jesus Christ? Look, just like you have a relationship with friends and family, just like you enjoy conversation, how some of your people, how some of the people in your life help you and you help others, God is real. And the only way to relate to him is in relationship. And the only way to start a relationship with him is to recognize what he's done on your behalf, the great gift he's extended to you. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. It's time for Abounding Grace. Glad to have you in our listening family as Pastor Ed Taylor picks up where we left off in 2 Kings. Now that happens to be chapter 5 if you want to head there now. If you'll recall, Naaman was just healed of leprosy. And we discovered that leprosy is a picture of the progression of sin in a human life. But as we'll learn today, it's also a wonderful picture of our salvation story. Here to draw that out from 2 Kings 5 is Pastor Ed. 2 Kings chapter 5, as we continue on in our study, following along the work of God through the life of Elisha and through the divided kingdom of Israel. Why are they divided? Because after Solomon, King Solomon died, nobody wanted to follow his sons. And, in, and no one wanted to take that, that step to, to, to listen to the elders and to listen to wisdom. And instead... There's a divided kingdom, and they stay divided for a very, very long time. And last time in our study, we watched a Gentile get healed. His name was Naaman. And what fascinated me about Naaman, especially the first time, like it, it hit me the first time as I was studying through, it, is that Naaman and his, his need to be healed with leprosy, he was surrounded by unbelief, except for the little girl. She had the faith to encourage him to do what's right. Not even the king of Israel had faith for the heat. Remember, he thought when Naaman came with the letters that there was some kind of declaration of war. And it just reminded me, those of us, and I do use the word us, that have a bent about, of skepticism in us. We just need to keep praying that God would take that away. You know where you, you, get, you get a letter and, and it's a good thing, but immediately you're like, I don't know about this. I'm not sure about this. And there is a sense of being spiritually discerning. I don't lose your discernment. But I do think it's important to lose our skepticism. It will help us move forward in faith. And because even Naaman didn't want to go into the waters of the Jordan because they were so dirty. He says, man, if I just needed a dip in water, why can't I do it back uh, in Syria? Why, why couldn't you just, why do I need to come to the Jordan? And, and there was just so much unbelief. But that little girl, she chose not to be bitter, but to embrace her situation in what is happening in her life. And God used him. And there's, Naaman was just seven dips in the Jordan River from being healed. That's all. That's all that held him back 
from completely having his skin healed of leprosy. It was just seven dips in the water. But it really wasn't seven dips in the water as much as it was seven dips of humility. He was so prideful. He was, his response to what Elisha told him to do was just dripping with pride. And so, yeah, it was seven dips in the water to be healed, but it was also seven dips of his pride into the waters of healing. That's it. And we learned so much last time. If you weren't here, you should catch up. I mean, all this study from 1 Samuel all the way through is just one of the most fascinating parts of the Bible, uh, except for the Gospels and following Jesus. I mean, it's just so fascinating, the work of God through ordinary people. Now, we learned last time how leprosy, leprosy becomes a, a strong picture of the progression of sin in a person's life. But I also want to give you the flip side of that, because in one of the commentators, Pastor John Corson, he also draws out how leprosy is a picture of the salvation story. And I just want to share it with you if you take notes, because you can study it and see, you know, every time you think of leprosy, it becomes a type of sin. And, and how and how sin progresses in a person's life. But also I want to add to you how this situation with Naaman and his leprosy actually reveals the salvation story. Why is that important? Because listen, anytime you're reading the Bible, the central theme of every Bible story, the central theme of every true Bible situation is Jesus Christ, the revelation of Messiah to come. I mean, you need to find, as you're reading through, the key to unlocking the scriptures is to see that what, what, they, what is often referred to as that crimson cord throughout the scriptures, where you, you just watch this crimson cord, this red cord of salvation as it relates to Jesus Christ, and you can't help but see the finished work of the cross right here in the true story of Naaman. So if you're taking notes, number one, leprosy is a picture of sin. And as we've learned in Naaman's life, he is complete, he's dealing with the effects of this disease even as sin completely destroys a person's life. And we looked at that in depth, but that's the first point. Number two, the message of hope was given to a little girl. The message of hope was given to a little girl. Paul tells us that the Lord loves to use the weak things of the world to confound the strong. And the solution to Naaman's problem came in someone you would most naturally ignore. You know, on top of all that, her being uh, in a position of servitude, uh, having been taken from her homeland. And the message of hope is in a child. What did Jesus say? Jesus said that we need to become like little children in following him. That simple, childlike faith. He doesn't say for us to become childish, but childlike in our faith. That if I went downstairs right now into our children's ministry and I pulled up a five-year-old up here and I shared with them some grand glorious thing, they would receive it immediately. Unless one of your kids just cops an attitude on everything, but most of your five-year-olds don't cop attitudes yet. And don't you shake your head and go, you haven't met mine yet. Well, it'll grow out of it. Don't worry. Just keep loving them. But most of the time, kids, they just receive. When my nephews uh, found out that we were in uh, Israel recently, and we had just texted them to say, hey, we, got, we came back, uh, they're in California, and, and, and we're back. One of the things that was, that was shouted or shared from the back was uh, little Evan had wanted to know if we were where David and Goliath fought. 
He wanted to know that. And I text back, yes, we were there. We don't know exactly where the fight took place. Like Goliath's footprints aren't there in the middle of the valley, but we actually go. It's one of the the places where we just pull off to the side of the road. We walk along a very busy street, a very busy highway, I should say. And we go through and we walk back and we go into a creek bed filled with rocks um, that is in the Elah Valley. That's where the battle of the true story of the Bible where David takes on Goliath. It's right there in the Elah Valley. And part of our time there is to encourage, to encourage everyone in the, uh, in the Elah Valley that after we're done with our Bible study and we worship there, uh, time is given to go walk and spend some time there. And then in the creek bed, you can pick up some rocks and take them home. If you're a Sunday school teacher, you can bring a bag of them back take them into your Sunday school. If you want to bring some back uh, to share, uh, you can bring some back. You can bring as many back as you want to bring. They're there uh, for the taking. And it's not illegal. It's okay. Uh, they, they bring a truck and dump rocks there every week. No, I'm just kidding. They don't. There's a bunch of rocks there. And, and so we take them back. And, and for me personally, the last four years, I've been taking a rock. Uh, it represents uh, a giant in my life. Uh, the situation is, is monumentally bigger than I could ever, I, I have no, I've faced a lot of problems in life and a lot of difficulties and God has got them through us all, but not this one. Not yet. Not yet. So every year, that's what's on my heart when I go to the Elah Valley. It's a giant in my life. I, I'm not able to uh, overcome it in my own strength. I'm not able, I don't have the timing or the ability or I don't even have a voice in the situation. As much as many places God has given me a voice, I have no voice in this situation. I have to trust God. So I bring a little rock. Well, I always bring some extras and I just, I, I put them in my pocket and then throw them in my suitcase and I bring them back. And so when I found out uh, that they wanted to know, you know, they wanted to know if you could bring rocks back before, before I left to Tucson, I put, put those rocks in an envelope, put a couple pictures in there that I took of that area and I sent them to California. Uh, and I know, I know what's going to happen. Uh, they're going to open up and they are going to be just so appreciative of these little rocks that were in my pocket and I threw in my bag. Why? Because they're childlike faith, man. When they think of David and Goliath, they don't think of it as some childhood um, story. They think of it in the context of victory and strength. And this is amazing. And maybe one day I'll meet a Goliath. And maybe one day, and who knows? They might, who knows what they'll do? They might take the rocks and throw them over the fence. Who knows? Who knows? But those rocks, some way, with the help of their parents, and then I'll follow up with them later this week, we'll, we'll be able to speak to them and say, God is bigger than your problems. God can, can speak, and, and that what you read in the Bible, what you read in the Bible, it is true and accurate, and we were there. We stood there. We walked there. And in February, it's uh, very much more green than we've ever seen it before. The, mount, the, the hillsides were green. The whole valley was green. It was unbelievable. But those kids, now some of you, you're like, get over with this illustration. I get it with rocks. I know, I know. I got a lot of rocks. I know, I understand. I have to do rock. But, but that's because you're not being childlike. That's just because you've grown up and you're hardened a little bit. And, and, and you, you, don't, you don't have that wonder and awe that comes with that faith that you have in Jesus Christ. And you're just so, the Goliath is just intimidating you. You might be like David's brothers and you're afraid of Goliath and, and you're cowering in fear and you don't want to go out and face him. But God wants you in the power. God says, God, God says through David, you know, who are you? Who are you, Goliath, to blaspheme my God? And I don't know how it all went down to how a little kid in the midst of an army is the only one going forth. 
Not even Saul said, David, don't go out, I'll go out. What does Saul do? What does King Saul do in all his bravery? He gives David his armor. I mean, a man would say, no way. You have inspired my faith. You stay back, I'll take on Goliath. I'm the king of Israel. But he tries to put on his armor and, and you know, we learn from that that when you go into battle, you can't wear someone else's armor. You need to go in, in the faith that you have with the Lord. And so, the message of hope is given to this little girl. Number three, the message was more important than the messenger. How is this a picture of salvation story? Number one, leprosy is a picture of sin. Secondly, the message of hope was given to a little girl. Thirdly, the message was more important than the messenger. Naaman thought Elisha was going to do something extraordinarily miraculous. Instead, he gave a simple instruction. Go to the Jordan River. Jordan literally means judgment. And he was to go dip seven times. Seven, the number of completion. That this was going to be a complete work. How are we to be cleansed by our sins so that immersing ourselves fully in the judgment that Jesus bore for us on the cross? And I just love this. He developed it far more than that. But I wanted to lay before you that as we're walking through the scriptures, the reality of the truths of the Bible come to life. And Jesus is on every page. I'm just telling you right now, what you're in the middle of, a relationship with Jesus Christ is the solution to and you go, what do you mean a relationship with Jesus Christ? Look, just like you have a relationship with friends and family, just like you enjoy conversation, how some of your people, how some of the people in your life help you and you help others, God is real. And the only way to relate to him is in relationship. And the only way to start a relationship with him is to recognize what he's done on your behalf, the great gift he's extended to you. That, not on, that, that, that the amount of money that you have and the amount of smarts that you have and, and, and even maybe your life was really, really bad and then you went through maybe a divorce, now you're remarried and things are so much better, they're really not as good as they could be if you would submit your life to Jesus Christ and learn to live in a way that's in relationship with him. Because when we don't live loving and sharing with one another, we break relationship. Sometimes one party breaks relationships. Sometimes it's two parties. But with, between you and God, it's only one party. You've broken relationship with God. And the Bible says it's because of your great failures. The Bible says you're disconnected from God because, because you carry on the weight of your great failures. And there are heavy weights to carry, aren't they? This world will just kick you up and down while you're down while you're trying to get up. And, and there's even the pattern that some develop over time, not everybody, but some, where they self-destruct, where you just start to make progress and then you find yourself making the same mistake over again or it's worse that time and, and, and you, you just live a life where you make so much progress and then, boom, you do it again. And what God is wanting us to understand is that he has a plan for our lives. He has a direction. If we will just dip seven times with our pride and admit that God's way is better than our way and follow his precepts. You go, well, what do you mean follow his precepts? Well, God said if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, if you'll confess with your mouth that you have failed God, the Bible word for that is sin, that you failed God. And if you will believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And you go, what do you mean believe in your heart? Well, let me ask... Um, how many of you 
have never been to New Zealand before. Just raise your hand. How, never been to, I've never been to New Zealand, okay? Put your hands down. How many of you believe New Zealand exists? How can you believe that? You've never been there. It could be one of those other flat earth things, you know? New Zealand's off the end of the flat earth. The Bible teaches the earth is round, so you can dismiss all the flat earth theories, okay? But how do you prove New Zealand is real? Why do you even believe that? Stop believing that New Zealand exists. You've never been there. You've never touched the dirt. You've never heard the accent, mate, or whatever they say there. I don't know what they say, but you've never heard it for yourself. You've never seen a kangaroo there. You've never eaten the food there. You know, we have uh, missionaries out there, but you haven't seen them there. Maybe they're taking pictures with a fake background, and they're right outside the doors, always peeking in, going, ha, 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 ha. We're really not there. We're here. Why aren't we there? Because it doesn't... Why do you believe that? I'll tell you why. Evidence. There's evidence. And for everyone that raised their hand, you have determined that there's enough evidence that New Zealand exists without you ever seeing it, without you ever being there, without you ever visiting, without you getting on a plane, spinning, without you ever being there. You believe there's enough evidence, whatever it is for you, whatever the threshold of evidence is for you, it's all different. You believe New Zealand exists. Is there anyone here that has been to New Zealand? Okay, so these are the people, just in case you still doubt, that you can ask them. And what will they do? What will they do? They will give you eyewitness accounts of New Zealand. They will say, I was there. They will say, I felt that. I smelled that. I saw that. I was there. I handled that. I went on the bus and I went to my friend's house and I ate the special meal that was there and I ran away from a kangaroo. Whatever it is there, they will be able to say and, and you will then go over the edge, no doubt. You'll say, now I believe even more. I've never been there. But, but by the eyewitnesses, I, w- I was there. I believe it was there. I, I believe it exists because now the eyewitnesses put me over the edge. When it comes to Jesus Christ, how many of you have seen Jesus Christ in the flesh? How many? Oh my, not one hand. Not one hand. And yet, so many of us believe. Why? Evidence. There is so much evidence that points us in the direction that Jesus Christ is real. Piece after piece after piece of evidence. Of course, there's the Bible. The Bible is one of the greatest pieces of evidence that Jesus Christ exists. And you go, but Ed, I don't believe in the Bible. Okay, I respect that. I respect that at this phase in your life, you don't believe in the Bible. And what what we would do then for someone that doesn't believe in the Bible is then we would begin to give you evidence of of how this book has tested, has, has made it through the test of time. How emperors and kings have had tried to destroy the Bible. How, although we're reading it in the English language today, how we could go backwards and show you how the translations would match to the thousands of manuscripts that exist today that take us to about the first century. We don't have the autographs, 
but we have copies of the autographs. How we would be able to tell you that all those pastors, all those that were teaching the Bible in the first century, that if we didn't have a Bible, and none of us had a Bible today, and none of our apps could pull up a Bible, that we could go to the men that taught the Bible in that first and second century, that century right after the, the, the apostles, everybody in the Bible, they died off, and it was those guys that followed the apostles, the, the followers of Jesus. You had Jesus, those that followed him, and then the next generation, after those guys died, there was another generation because it keeps getting passed down like I'm passing it down to you. So that second generation of believers, when you read through their messages, they quote the Bible to like 98 or 99%. So if you took all their quotations, you can make the Bible, you could take the Bible out of their quotations and say, look, this is what they were saying in the years, you know, 100 to 200 AD. And so there's evidence there's archaeological evidence, just like I mentioned earlier. If we went, I could take you to Israel. You want to go to Israel and see things with your own eyes? I could take you there. And I can show you where things took place. Well, you know, I don't know if Jesus ever went on on the Sea of Galilee. I'll take you there and you can walk in the Sea of Galilee. Take your shoes off and go dive in if you want. It's still there. Yeah, well, I don't know about this, you know, what a Mount of Olives and where the Bible says that when Jesus comes back, he's going to stand on the Mount of Olives and he's going to break right down the Kidron Valley, right into the eastern. Well, we could take you there. We not only will see the big picture there, but we'll walk right up to it. You'll be able to see it. You can touch it. You can smell it. You can lick it if you want. It's all right. You go, man, I could lick the dirt off the ground in Israel. Great. Tell your grandkids. That's, that's very exciting. You can do it. The archaeological evidence is amazing. The, 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 the ability to know that the manuscript evidence, it's, it's unbelievable. The fact that this book would be able to prophesy and predict hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of things to a T. Not, not just, you know, how sometimes the predict, those that try to predict things today, they'll go and do, oh, I think tomorrow it will be blue skies. Well, come on, man. But what if you say, you know, tomorrow... Jesus Christ will be born from a virgin's womb, and it happens. You go, oh, that's not possible. How is that possible? Well, ask the man she was betrothed to. He'll attest to you that they had yet consummated their marriage. I mean, it's just unbelievable. The statistical probability of all these things coming together so that the message really is far greater than the messenger. It's far more important. It's far greater. Today on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor has been in the book of 2 Kings. Hear these studies online at calvaryaurora.org. And you can subscribe to our free podcast on iTunes as well. We'd also suggest adding a couple of apps to your phone. Look for the Calvary Aurora app and the Grace FM Colorado app when you do a search for Calvary Aurora. Pastor Ed, as we've just begun a new year, resolutions are in many of our minds, whether it's to lose weight or kick a nasty habit. And this month's resource is such a helpful tool as it deals with breaking free of stubborn habits. What can you tell us about this wonderful book from Erwin Lutzer? You know, Erwin Lutzer the, was a pastor at the Moody Bible Church, and he's such a phenomenal Bible teacher. And this book on breaking a habit has some powerful tools, uh, both practically and spiritually and mentally, to help you walk in the gracious power of God to break those stubborn habits. Even those of you that would say that you're just generally stubborn, 
that you were born that way, that you've always been that way. Uh, God wants you to be free from stubbornness and stiff-neckedness. You know how many times over and over again in the Old Testament, God would rebuke the nation of Israel for their stiff-necked stubbornness. It's not God's heart for us. He wants us to be moldable and shaped by His Spirit, that we are conformed in the image of Jesus Christ. So pick up this book on breaking free of your stubborn habits. Um, I think they've changed the title, (laughs) Um, but if you search the old title, it comes up too, uh, and it's Uh, I think the old title is How to Say No. Um, The new title might be Breaking Free of Stubborn Habits or How to Break a Stubborn Habit, but Erwin Lutzer, L-U-T-Z-E-R, it's great. you got to add it to your spiritual library. Uh, And of course, whether you get it on Amazon or you support us through the ministry, just get it and let's grow in grace together. We'll send you a copy of How to Break a Stubborn Habit when you support Abounding Grace today with a gift of $25 or more. You can experience freedom over that nasty habit. So call us today at 888-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryaurora.org. We can't thank you enough for your support, especially as we begin another year on this station. It's a step of faith, and we continually ask the Lord for His provision. We can be reached toll-free at 877-30-GRACE or turn to calvaryaurora.org. We'll have another look into Second Kings next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Set aside another half hour to join us tomorrow. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado.